0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Faith to Conquer Fear radio show hosted by me, Christy Demetrakis, the Empowered Speaker. I'm the president and founder of the Empowered Speaker, a faith-based global ministry that teaches people the power of dreams and the importance of faith in conquering the fears that limit us. I'm also the author of Faith to Conquer Fear, Inspiration to Achieve Your Dreams. You can find out more about my services and my book at www.empoweredspeaker.com. For those of you who may be listening to the Faith to Conquer Fear radio show for the first time, here's what you can expect. This show will provide guests who will motivate you, inspire you, and give you tools to activate your goals and dreams, whether those dreams are entrepreneurial, corporate, or personal. And today I have a special guest to help me do just that, Wolfgang Wolf. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Wolfgang Wolf was born in 1951. He was taken by his parents to West Germany at the age of 10 months because his father was sentenced to 18 years in Siberia for an alleged assassination attempt on the Russian dictator, Joseph Stalin. He grew up in a refugee camp near Stuttgart until 1957. Having studied visual communication, semiotics, and communication theory, Wolfgang went on to work in advertising and direct marketing, first as a graphic designer, later a copywriter. In 1980, he immigrated to New Zealand traveled up and down the country, photographed a lot, co-founded Ogilvy & Mather Direct, and was their creative director. He worked half a year in Los Angeles and founded his own agency in Auckland, New Zealand, in 1985. Then in 1990, he had a major stroke, which he barely survived. It left him in a wheelchair, unable to write, barely able to stand and talk. He did not give up and feel sorry for himself, but went on to orchestrate this change to his new life and take control of it. While he recovered and adjusted to life in a wheelchair, he wrote the book, I'm Not Stupid, Just Disabled, which is out of print now, but a revised version based on it is available on Amazon and Kindle. After this, he studied and completed a Bachelor of Social Practice and a Diploma in Community Development. While studying, he found it in Steel Chairs Computers Against Isolation, a registered charity which provides people who live with disabilities with computers. Wolfgang regularly presents on stroke and rehabilitation-related matters to community groups and international conferences. The formation of the stroke mentor was a logical conclusion following talks with other disabled people. Wolfgang does counseling and coaching work, mainly with couples where one partner has a disability. Wolfgang Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Faith to Conquer Fear Radio Show.
1: Thank you very much.
0: I am so glad to have you on. I am so glad to have you on. I always start by asking my guests to share with us one thing about you that was not in your bio.
1: Uh, Probably that I was a musician before I the stroke, So I can't play. I used to play guitar. And I can't play anymore.
0: Ah. Now were you uh did you learn how to play guitar on your own or were you trained?
1: Um I played on my own and later that my career so to speak. I had some lessons. I mean I played for like fifteen years. I was the first time on stage when I was fifteen. 40, sorry, mm-hmm. 40. Mm-hmm. So that was a big part of my life. And it was also not where I came from. It was either you moved into being a bad person, mixing with the bad people. And I was in a way quite glad that I got out of there and the music bit,
0: mhm well tell, talk- to me about, um, We'll.
1: Oh, yeah well i mean i it was fifteen years of my life, and it made me uh well a bit tough, I would say, because you had to work hard, I always said, work hard, you know, when I was brought up in the camp. That was my parents didn't have much money. I mean, I had, for example, um, I have heard later that other children got candies. If I wanted something sweet, my mother put sugar and margarine on a bread roll and gave that to me.
0: Wow. Wow. So it
1: was, but it was not only me, it was all the children in the camp that were poor, basically. Mm hmm And I think that's quite a good grounding uh, to become a bit resilient. Yeah. And street vice, if you want so.
0: So you, did you, so as I was reading your bio, you all moved because your father was accused of a crime.
1: Yeah, okay. yeah. He left first, and then my mother was my sister, me. She left late, and during that time, you were still able to go to West Germany from as uh, through Berlin. From there was no war then.
0: Okay, right. Wow. So you stayed in you stayed in a refugee camp for six years, is that right? About six yeah. years, for the first six yeah. or so years of your life? Yeah. And then what happened? How did you all go from but there to...?
1: Then we got a flood in what uh, the States would call that the project. Mm-hmm. Basically, what the government did, they bought a few acres, quite a few acres of land, and they built from scratch buildings there and they put about five thousand people there. So that was a very good environment (laughs) either.
0: That was an upgrade. I mean I'm not being funny, but But that was an upgrade, right?
1: Yeah, of course it was better. Obviously my parents were quite happy but You know, it was not, looking back, it was not a very good um, environment. There were suicides every week. The ambulance came and people beat their wives up. I'm sure there was suburban roses because Mm -hmm. it was a thing in the middle of nowhere. Mm Mm-hmm. So there were quite a few social problems. Even of course, I was telling me mean, I actually think as a child, it's only your fantasy that decides what you, you do. Mm.
0: What do you think you're... You, you had a very successful career. As Again, as I was reading your bio, you graduated from college opened a, a marketing company or creative creative company what gave you that fuel to do that coming out of your coming from your background
1: well I think uh, when you are down at the bottom it's only one way up I mean you are I know I found out later as I grew up that we were at the bottom of at the bottom of the social leader. hmm And so therefore I mean uh you could only go forward in a positive way. And I also was brought up that you always had to be humble yeah. and Buddha. Mhm.
0: Wow. Wow, that's that's an awesome story you have now. What did your where is your sister now? <gasps>
1: She lives in Germany.
0: Okay. Well, she stayed in Germany and you moved to ultimately yeah. back to, to New Zealand.
1: Yeah, I'm the only one here. Okay. Well, we didn't have a, a big family because uh, most yeah, the of the family government. was in East Germany, yeah, the you know. Government. And we couldn't go there easily. So we only saw them occasionally and there's not much, that much contact. And so my auntie lives now in West Germany, close Marxist Marxism's mm-hmm. But they did let her out of East Germany uh, when she turned 60, when she turned a pensioner, so East Germany didn't have to pay the pension. So she came to West Germany and West Germany paid the pension.
0: Mm. Well you've had quite the now I didn't read in your bio that you have that you're married or have children. Uh,
1: no, I was married and we have uh good relationships still, but we moved apart. Yeah. Very so nice. I'm quite independent now. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I can I can see that. I can definitely see that. And so let's talk about that. In 1990, your whole world changed.
1: Yeah, very much.
0: That's an understatement, isn't it? Yeah, but, yeah. So you went from being, you went from, in essence, owning your own business, of course, being very independent, to really an involuntary lifestyle change, is what I think you call it.
1: Yeah. Tell, well, me, tell it, us about that. Um for me, I mean like for everyone else, it was obviously a big shock. And what you try to do in that situation, uh, you try to get back your previous life mm-hmm. or get as close to it as possible. And as I found out in the following years, that's actually the problem that most people who have had a stroke, they try to get their old life back. But that's impossible, you know, because even people who are physically all right, they still have that experience that they... I say, I called it in the book the Realization of One's Own Mortality. Mm. So that we don't like to talk about this and uh people shy away from it and in case of a so an accident, a head injury or whatever, people are suddenly confronted with it. And they realized it was so close, it could have been this for them. That could have been the end. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. So of course they tried to get back to their previous life. And I think that's where the problem lies. Because to move forward, you have to basically leave everything else behind.
0: Mm, that's a good point. Wow. Mm. So
1: in a way you have to do a self take, what's still there, but you can still use and then build up on that a new life rather than trying to get the old one back because won't.
0: Wolfgang, how long did it take you to come to that realization yourself that you couldn't go back to the way things were?
1: Yeah, probably years. I talked to a lot of people and, uh, you know, I wrote the book because I've always been a writer anyway, so there was logic that I do that and... um, but for me personally, it was more uh, part of my rehabilitation. Yeah, it was in a few months so, It was probably selfish that I did that, and then uh, that took me a long time. Actually, it took me about seven years. I also must say that it was before the internet. Even so, I had the internet. There were not many people out there who had the internet. Mm -hmm. So I wrote, you know, on the computer printed out, I wrote to Storclops and then they wrote, so it took me quite a long time to get the material. But then still it took me about two years to write it. You know which is long I normally would have written it in uh, probably four months mhm for five months, but well the struggle, the problem is attention one of the problems it's attention span.
0: okay,
1: you know, thinking, it with sponsor and sink that last degree soon, so I a lot, I mean, there's only perception you have on one hand, the reality, and on the other hand, your perception. And having a struggle in them now, whether your perception is actually the reality. It might be your reality, but it's not what really is happening about you. So you always have to ask yourself, what's happening now you have to be very controlled i think
0: wow so wow so huge lifestyle change um for you how did your stroke manifest itself in you what are what are the things that you are that you cope with as a result of your stroke you mentioned in your bio um you had difficulty walking at some point I think you said you're in a wheelchair now.
1: Yeah. But the wheelchair, for example, was by choice. That's one of those things. Um, I used to use Walker. Uh, and I found uh, I was once at the cocktail party. And I saw someone cross the room. And I started shuffling over there. I really had to concentrate on the walker so I don't fall over and make mess. So I went over there, and by the time I made it, they were gone. Mm. And then I decided to take the step because in a situation like this, I would be a little bit fast and wouldn't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. So you could say that I decided the wheelchair over the out of social reasons.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes sense, actually. <laughs> I never thought about that, but that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I thought it was not first of all, not that I deteriorated or anything. I just thought, uh, you know, I have to concentrate so hard to walk. It can't be good for me. So I decided to take the wheelchair and the seizure.
0: hmm And then what else? What other, any other things that have made uh, the biggest change?
1: I mean, the biggest change was probably... Uh, not being able to drive anymore, mm. but again, I mean, I could drive, I even at the beginning I wanted to get back to driving, but then, then I noticed that um, my reaction is much slower.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's not as safe. So,
1: yeah, so, and I thought, you know, if there's a child coming out behind the car, and I told him sometimes, I didn't want that. Mm. I couldn't live with myself. Right. So I decided not to drive him, so I could Yeah, but, of course, that was the big thing, because now I get around and take these or someone picks me up. That's a negative are I think that's but uh, most people struggle with, that lack of independence mm-hmm. or de- being dependent on someone else. People do like to be a burden and you can tell them Hundred times in order, but people like to do that, and still feels like that.
0: How do you? I know nobody ever anticipates, or I hope they don't anyway, um, anticipate anything bad happening to them that might debilitate them or really change their lifestyle. But are there things that people can do to? Prepare themselves for what would be what you would call an involuntary lifestyle change, or is that something that you just have to learn when it happens, if
1: it but happens? I think I have to. But uh, to other people, I would say, uh, it probably helps if you put yourself into a situation, reflect on your life, see basically happening in life. And imagine very clearly, change a little bit, some aspect of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: As I think we don't do that often. Oh, we get so busy that we often oh, forget the living. We don't know what it means anymore. There's just an automatic thing we do. So it's, um, I think, important to get out of that and and look at life, basically, look back at it to be able to manage this.
0: You talked a little bit earlier about um, coming to the realization once you're in that involuntary lifestyle change something has happened and changed what you're accustomed to. You talked a little bit about how it's important not to try to go back to the old way because, for your words, that's impossible. Yeah. What? What? When you talk to couples, I know that's a lot of your work. When you talk to couples and one of them has a partner with a disability, what are some of the techniques that you would share with them about how they can help ease that transition?
1: Uh, yeah, first of all, I would like to say that I, I'm not doing a traditional counseling session, but I often also go somewhere and have a coffee because mm. I want to see whether the able-bodied partner is, twice example, buying the coffee, ordering And that, because I think if you see how the two people interact, it's much better. You get more of a picture of them. How they interact? Privately. And I think the biggest mistake that uh, caregivers can make is that they don't look after themselves. Mm -hmm. and I always say if you don't look after yourself you can't look after anyone else so that's the most important thing the second would be uh, that they basically assume things they don't communicate you know but many people have what they call a it's a condition where they can't talk. Mm-hmm. And I found that very often uh, people don't actually have the patience to wait until the disabled person communicates remotely, the they just assume. And that's also very big mistake people make, that they become, in a way, condescending, Mm. because it's a very fine line between helping someone along and being condescending. That's why I always say to people, um, help is not really good because the line is to find support is good. It should let the person know that you support them, but let them make their own decisions. And that's important. quite different to helping a person and assuming the person needs this or that? Yeah?
0: Yeah good counsel. That's good counsel. Well, Wolfgang, our time is almost up, my friend.
1: Alrighty. That's bad okay.
0: thing. It does I know it always does, but that's all that's a good sign. That's a good sign. What would you like to say to people? you just said a mouthful right there, uh that that applies not to just People with disabilities and those caretakers, but just in general. But what would you like to say to people before we go? Either tell them how to contact you or whatever you want to share.
1: Oh, they can uh, look at my book on Amazon. It's now called How to Survive After Struggle. I re-edited the first book I wrote recently, which is out of print now, but now it's called How to Survive After Struggle," and it's on Amazon. And I actually got some quite good comments from there, and quite good book reviews, and it helps, I think, People get a better understanding of struggle because I talk about the fears that everyone has that I had, and it really helps in the understanding of disability in general, because that's what we often don't think about it enough. People are intimidated by disability, and there's no reason for it. So that's basically all I have to say about
0: You're that. The okay. Well, I thank Nobody you so, so much real for real being a guest start, start on the Faith to Conquer Fear. Radio Show, and I encourage you all She's to go out to you. Amazon, and she she again, the book title is How to Survive After a Stroke. She, uh, and pick yeah, that up. She have it. And uh, I want to thank you all for listening to the Faith to Conquer Fear radio show with me, C Demetrakis. She, I, mean, I invite you to follow me Twitter and the show me. on Blog Talk Radio to get news and reminders for upcoming shows. I'd also like with you, like you to connect with me on Twitter. My handle is at C. Demetrakis, and I have two Facebook pages, Faith to Conquer Fear and The Empowered Speaker. This will allow you to keep up with all the news and events to inspire you to keep it moving. I'm doing what I love. Talk to you soon.